Chapter 5 of The Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brenholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Andrew Bemis. There are swift hours in life, strong, rushing hours, that do the work of tempests in their might. Hemans. As soon as the door closed behind Arndt, Nettie, on finding herself on the same spot where she had stood during that terrible half-hour, while she watched the men as they worked to restore her father, suddenly stopped, and with staring eyes wavered to and fro as she had done before. This time there was only the body of her father, lying as if asleep on the lounge to meet her gaze, and the awful reality that he would never again speak in loving tones swept over her. With a cry which rang through closed doors and solid walls, she said, Oh, Daddy, Daddy, dear, and would have rushed to his side, but took only one step before unconsciousness seized her. Dr. Kennedy, who was waiting in the shadow, expecting this very result, caught her as she tottered, and then said briskly, Now, wife, call Arndt. And then Mrs. Kennedy stepped quickly to the door and opened it, and Arndt, who had heard that cry not only with his ears but in every fiber of his being as he paced up and down before the house, was already on the top step and passed instantly to the assistance of the doctor. Between them, the unconscious girl was quickly placed upon her bed, and Arndt, by the direction of the physician, hastened to the nearest neighbor's house for help. On his return, he resumed his solitary walk, up and down before the house. Up and down the man paced, step by step, with soldierly tread, and his thoughts were all of the walks which he and Angus and Nettie had taken in the summer nights which were past. As he became quieter, he took in the fact that even here, at a distance of half a mile from the works, the air was filled with the smoke from the furnaces and that the roar and crash of machinery, to which he was so accustomed that he hardly noticed it in the works by day, was plainly heard in the stillness of the night. And he said bitterly, One cannot even draw the breath of life without having it poisoned by the octopus. I believe that the smoke nuisance, as well as a whole lot of other evils which they claim are inseparable from modern business methods, might be prevented. Business indeed! It is the anaconda of the world today. Where is the man who shall be able to loosen those folds which are crushing the life out of every one of us, rich as well as poor, without the shedding of blood? Oh! he cried aloud. I am afraid, I'm, I'm afraid that the work cannot be done peaceably. It is a story of slavery all over again. Only this time it is the white man who is a slave to a demon called modern business methods. Any man today can see that the slaves could have been purchased outright and set free at a tithe of the cost of the Civil War and subsequent entailed expenses, and all the lost lives might have been saved and the breaking of hearts averted to say nothing of a whole generation of children whose existence has been permanently overshadowed by the anxiety and dread which was a daily meat and drink of their mothers during those terrible days before the children saw the light, 
God pity those children. But it was not to be averted. Nettie is right. Then, as now, the whole trouble was the selfishness of man. After almost two thousand years of professing to follow the teachings of one whose whole life was a lesson in unselfishness, we don't seem to have even started yet. Not one of us. Justice cries out from the ground perpetually, through the ages, not only for right, but for restitution and for retribution. Repayment for downtrodden manhood, stunted lives and crushed loves cannot be made any more than for hunger and thirst and insufficient clothing and avoidable sickness and premature death. But shall we, as a people, be able to escape retribution for having caused these things this time? In his earnestness, he had been speaking aloud, and at this moment Dr. Kennedy touched him on the arm saying, I cannot tell you. No man can answer that question, but come in. I expected to find you out here. And so, together, they entered the house and went into the sitting room where the body of Angus MacDonald was already prepared for the coffin. No, not in here, said the doctor. This room is too cold, for the fire was out and the window raised. The physician passed immediately into the back room, but Arndt paused by the still form, and without lifting the sheet which covered the face, said, Goodbye, old friend, goodbye. You are only one more victim of the selfishness of man. Goodbye, goodbye. Then he followed the doctor, who closed the door behind him. Well, it is just as I feared, said Kennedy, for Arndt waited for him to speak just as I feared when I first saw her. The shock and the strain of standing in the hall watching us and overhearing what we said all that time has been too much, and the collapse, which I anticipated, has left us with a probable case of brain trouble at the least. And no one knows what, at the end of that, she never seemed to take in her personal loss until she saw his body all alone in the room. That was as I expected, my one chance was that she would break down and cry. Oh, if she had only cried! But it turned the other way, and now she will have to fight it out with the best aid I can give her. Fortunately for us, her habit of taking a great deal of outdoor exercise has given her an excellent constitution. My wife is with her now, and also one of the neighbors, and they will call me if there is any danger. At present they are giving her a treatment at which I cannot assist, and I must wait for the nurse I have sent to the hospital for, and while we are waiting I want to talk to you seriously. In the first place, I have to tell you that what Nettie said recently was spoken when she was in such a condition that you will not need to pay any attention to it. Moreover, she may never recall one word of it, even if she survives this attack. Didn't she know what she was saying? asked Arndt. Oh, yes, said the doctor, and I suppose meant it at the time, but she may never recall it. Then, said Arndt, I will remember it, and will also remind her of it, and if she wants to hold me to my promise, I'm going to keep it. Now, Arndt, protested Kennedy, you are going to accomplish nothing except the unhappiness of two people I like. If you don't quit this foolishness and persuade that girl into marrying you as soon as I can get her well again, 
if ever I do. But aren't interrupted. It's because every man says that same thing that nothing has been done. Don't think that I expect to do more than start the ball rolling. I am not the man to make a leader out of. I'm too sorry for the rich. The leader of the working men in the final struggle is not going to be sorry for the rich, or at least his sorrow for them will be completely buried out of sight under his millionfold greater sorrow for the poor and his wrath at the injustice practiced through the ages on the working class. You look astonished. Why, of course, I see these things plainly, and of course I am sorry for the rich. What do they get out of it all? Slavery to social forms instead of to work? A round of pleasure which has ceased except for the novice and the young to be enjoyable, and just as hard work to keep from dying from ennui as I have to perform to earn my daily bread. And what are we paying for all this? And why should they pay at all? Why? Because the mass of men are like children, and believe that because these people wear smiling faces, they are happy and contented, and they know that after all arguments are ended, they, the producers, have not received a just share of the rewards of toil. And the rich are paying, daily, in the growing hatred of poor men, women, and children for the rich as a class. And when the day of final payment comes... May I not be there to see it. Kennedy went to the door and listened for a moment and then resumed his seat without making any reply. Arndt evidently expected none, for he immediately continued. They mostly have a certainty about the arrival of daily bread and are not dependent on the goodwill or whim of an employer for the chance to earn it, which is about the only thing I envy them. I have always enjoyed my work. I delight in helping to create things, and for me the idleness of the rich has no attraction. I can only wonder at their willingness to let life pass in such a way. In general, I only pity them, but more especially when I think of that day and remember the old saying, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. That's true, said the doctor emphatically. But no man, single-handed and poor, can accomplish the work you have set out to do. Don't think for a moment that I do not know as well as you of the need of its being done. When I see at the houses of the rich luxury and pleasure and idleness, and even in the best of them a class feeling which causes them to despise a poor man, so much of the time simply because he is poor, and therefore, according to their standards of failure, the words of old McKellar ring in my ears. A renegade to God and man is he who scorns a poor man in his poverty or on his brother puts his supercilious ban. They worship success and success alone. And when I pass to the home of the working man whose labor has produced this wealth, I often wonder whether Almighty God is still running this world. Yes, he continued, as though Arndt had asked him a question aloud, for his astonishment was plainly written on his face. Yes, every word of that is true. I know that you are surprised, and you will be surprised again tomorrow when you see me as deferential as ever to the rich. I know who I'm talking to, and if, in the future, you need me, call on me. It may be that a sudden call to the assistance of a fellow man 
will awaken in me the manhood which has been held in check ever since the first day I had a rich patient who paid well. I have a wife and children who, if they are ever to have a chance in this world, Arndt interrupted him, a chance to occupy just such positions as these same rich people whom you are denouncing, and to lead just such lives? Isn't that what you were working for, doctor? The man flushed to his forehead, but said nothing, and Arndt continued, I'm sorry for such men as you, by the eternal I am, and the world is full of them too. I am glad you acknowledge that you are keeping your manhood down, but it is worse than that. You are losing it altogether, or nearly so. There is a shadow of it in a corner of you somewhere that shows it is not far off, not so far off but that you might get it back again, and it is this shadow which, when it stirs, as it is bound to do at sight of such things as we have seen and experienced this night, that makes you confess to a fellow man, and then you feel better, because you have confessed. By the eternal, he cried hotly, I wish you hadn't confessed, for like every other man who does so, you'll find some plausible excuse for doing the same thing over again. Oh, your excuse is a nice one and a virtuous one, that is why Nettie is right. A man and woman who have work to do must not give these hostages to fate. Every laughing little face will prevent the righteous anger from breaking forth. For when one thinks that a single word may mean hunger and cold to the child as well as tears in the eyes of the mother, action becomes impossible. That's one great reason why the corporations would rather employ married men though, of course, it is not among the reasons they mention publicly. There was silence in the room during the next half hour, for the doctor was with his patient, and during this time Arndt sat with his head bent forward and resting on his folded arms, endeavoring to face and realize his future, a future without the hope of one day making Nettie his wife in it. Most of us have been through deep waters at one time or another, and need not that his thoughts should be recorded. When Kennedy returned, he reported no improvement in his patient, and the words set off Arndt again. You say never a syllable about the pride with which you point to the number of rich men who entrust their precious lives to your care. Does a poor man's appreciation of your skill give you as much pleasure as a rich one's? I tell you, man, we are all tarred with the same brush. There isn't one of us who doesn't feel himself to be better than someone else whom he can name, whether it be the president who feels himself a somewhat bigger and better man than the secretary of state, or the tramp who feels himself above his fellow tramp because yesterday he succeeded in getting together enough to let him sleep in style in a ten-cent lodging house while his mate has to sleep in the alleyway adjoining. The classes are here, Denial of the fact changes nothing, and so long as they are here, the same miserable class feeling will run through us all, and its result is worse today in the United States than in caste-ridden India. For there, the pariah expects nothing from the high-caste Brahmin, while here we are taught, in words, that all men are equal. And in every action, have it proved to us that each man is better than someone else, 
even in the sight of the law. And when theory and practice don't fit, there's bound to be trouble. Arndt fell into a reverie, and Kennedy, who seemed to be watching him anxiously, roused him with a remark. Well, I don't know about all of us being in that same state, though God knows it's bad enough. There's a man by the name of Charles Arndt that seems to me to be pretty free from it. What? said Arndt. Why, you were never further from the truth in your life. I find myself holding back from the work which you and I know needs to be done, not because I fear the work or the failure which I think lies ahead of me, but because there arises in my mind the image of Tom and Jack and Joe, who we all know are professional loafers and tramps, and who will be the very first or among the very first to get the benefits of the good times we are working for. And so we say, I'll suffer the ills I've got rather than make good times for a set of people who don't deserve them. And then we go on making the very best of times for those who are, perhaps, cleaner and better behaved in general than Tom and Joe and Jack, but who deserve good times even less than they. For these are the people who, by refusing to work at all, cause some of us to toil eight and ten and even fourteen hours a day in a hell on earth, which fine ladies come to look at and standing at a safe distance, a very comfortable distance, hide their beautiful faces because, forsooth, the brutal fellows haven't got more clothes on. Psh! They're only titled and aristocratic tramps, after all. Instead of replying, Kennedy went out of the room and was absent quite a while, and on his return he merely shook his head in reply to Arndt's look of inquiry, and then after a moment said, I can do nothing more for her now, for the wife and old Mrs. Watson are giving her the treatment I ordered, and the drugs must have time to act. We must not be too impatient, though God knows I wish she would regain consciousness. Then, as if to divert Arndt's mind from his trouble, he said, so that is the way you regard the rich. Observe, corrected Arndt. I said the idle rich, but I don't exempt a man from the charge of idleness simply because his days are spent in traveling or in stock gambling, or because his days and nights are crowded with social functions either. And it is not only us workers in the mills and mines and factories that are suffering from this unjust share of the world's work. I hear tales from all over the land of this terrible struggle for existence. And certainly, with the improved machinery at our command, and with the amount of food and clothing annually produced, it is needless that there should be either a struggle or that any should want. Yet I hear of farmers in Texas working sixteen hours a day during planting and harvest in order to keep the interest on the mortgage paid so that their farms will not be foreclosed on. And then, after all the work, unseasonable rains or a drought have swept out or burned up the result of months of labor, and the homes are lost. We in the cities know of the terrible destitution which exists here, but I pity the farmers almost more than I do men of my own calling. They have not even the union to help them. The very nature of their occupation has prevented their banding together, and in many places, I'm told, that the doctors and storekeepers could own the farmers' homes if they chose to press their claims. At present, 10% interest suits them better. The doctor, 
who knew that Arndt was usually a very reticent fellow, except among his most intimate friends, listened without making a motion to interrupt him, for he saw that the tension on the man's nerves was near the breaking point, and he knew that Arndt was too good a friend of his to have intended anything offensively personal in his remarks. So he waited for a moment before he replied, but as Arndt was evidently straining his ears to catch some sound from the room above, he again diverted his attention by asking, How is it that holding the views you do in regard to capital and labor, I find you exerting all your influence, both in the Union and out of it, against socialism? To me, especially since the wonderfully increased vote it has rolled up in the last few years, it appears the very medium you need, perfectly organized and ready to your hand. Arndt replied sadly, Yes, it would look that way, but I've never been persuaded that the Socialist Party would be able to attain the revolution it desires by means of the ballot, and I would suffer almost anything rather than see a civil war. Moreover, when I started to investigate its claims, I was confronted at the outset with the fact that its entire basis is materialistic, and I cannot leave an overruling, guiding hand out of my scheme of things. I have many dear and true friends among the socialists, and I recognize their entire unselfishness and devotion to the welfare of the race. But the republic itself would have to be shown to be in danger, and their claims that they are the very party that will prevent, not cause, war be proved conclusively to me before I can throw in my lot with them. I see, said the doctor, and I will think over what you have said. You will find me ready to take a stand by your side if I see that anything can be accomplished. I think what is holding the great middle class steady on the side of capital just now is not altogether selfishness, but the fear that they will only be fighting a battle with nothing worth the while gained at the end of it. Just think of the struggles of the past, and what a little you have today to show for all the so-called victories. And also... The Tom and Dick and Joe of whom you spoke hold many a man back. Remember the carnival of blood in France. Yes, broke in Arndt, and the fear of the excesses which men of that class will be sure to commit causes the working man to hold back from many a righteous strike. And I believe that that class is permitted to run loose and perpetrate their depredations in order to alienate the good feelings of the middle class from the workers. I've suspected it for some time. Of course, we have fools and hotheads among the men, but our men are not vicious, and we can hold them in check by threats of putting them out of the Union. But what can we do when the government does not control this class, which has caused us more trouble than it has ever caused the rich? I'm of the opinion that the rich employers find it much easier to control their workers, owing to the existence of this very class, and that they know it. It may be so, said Kennedy, but I will have to defer what I would like to say on the other side of this subject, for there at last is the nurse I sent to the hospital for. I must hand the case over to her for the present. I've patience I must see at once. Here is a list of the places I'm going to. Send for me if there is any change. You had better get some rest, for I don't want you on my hands. At least try to keep quiet and lie down until my wife calls us to breakfast. 
but I'll be back before that time if possible. End of chapter 5